Hello, and welcome back to Mind Tracker, the podcast which talks about the power of the mind. My name is Sarah Hussein. I'm an engineer and a researcher, and this podcast is your toolkit. You get strategies, tools, and knowledge here to reach your highest potential. Today's episode is about a really important tool. If used wisely, this tool can improve your life and make it really rewarding. But if used unwisely, then this tool can make life really difficult and a drag. And that is belief. I'm using a simple definition from Google here. A belief is a state of the mind when we consider something to be true, even though we are not 100% sure or able to prove it. To put things in perspective, it's like a lens. It is through which you see the world. When you change the lens, you change the view. Emphasis on when we consider something to be true, even though we are not 100% sure about it or able to prove it. So this relationship where our brain takes our belief as an absolute fact is what we will be exploring in today's episode. And to solidify this, I'm going to use an excerpt from an article written by Shermer. Shermer is an American psychologist. He is well equipped to write about this topic. He has done a lot of groundwork on it and he is pretty impeccable. I will be linking all the things I'm using to record this episode in a post on patreon.com in case you're interested. It's going to have all the references of the research that I'm using today. So this excerpt read, as a belief engine, the brain is always seeking to find meaning in the information that pours into it. Once it has constructed a belief, it rationalizes it with explanations, almost always after the event. The brain thus becomes invested in the beliefs and reinforces them by looking for supporting evidence while blinding itself to anything contrary. Shermer describes this process as belief-dependent realism. What we believe determines our reality and not the other way around. So this is really interesting. It is talking about how our brain operates, which is that when it gets a belief, it uses this piece of information and it takes it as an absolute fact. And it lines up cues to validate the belief. Like Shermer says, the brain becomes invested in the belief and reinforces it by looking for supporting evidence while it blinds itself to anything contrary. So it absolutely does not focus on anything which can contradict that belief and it only focuses on the information which can validate and reinforce that belief. And to explain this phenomena, I'm going to be using an example of two performers. So two performers of exactly the same caliber but with two different beliefs. So let's say that performer A is the one with good belief and performer B is one with a bad belief. So performer A believes that he is a good performer. How the brain works is that there is a cause and effect relationship. So the brain is going to be focused on the effect and the effect has to be in alignment with the belief. Okay, too many words. So to explain this simply, if the brain has the belief that I am a good performer, it is going to yield a good performance. You know what I mean? It is going to be focused on the effect that a good performer can produce and that is a good performance. 
Similarly, if the brain believes that I am a good athlete, that means that I will play really well. So the outcome is the effect that the brain tries to produce. So in this scenario, when the brain knows that it is a good performer, this is what it does. So person A is going towards the stage and person A is experiencing stage fright and they're experiencing the regular symptoms of a stage fright. So that is some nervousness, um, trembling of the voice, um, feeling slightly dry on the lips. They're also blanking out when they're trying to recall their performance. So they're forgetting some of the steps. They're very nervous, but performer A believes that they are a good performer. So this is how their brain is going to be thinking. I am nervous, but I'm still walking and I can still smile. I am trying to recall the performance. I've forgotten some, but I remember majority of the performance, so I'm good. My voice is trembling, but I can speak and I can make it work. And so as the brain reinforces this belief that they are a good performer, this performer goes on stage and has a higher confidence and it starts to perform. And they yield a good performance. Now let's look at person B who has the belief that they are a bad performer. So this person has exactly the same symptoms. Their hands are sweaty, their voice is trembling, they are nervous, and when they're thinking about their performance, they are blanking out a little bit, so they're forgetting some of the steps. But the belief that this performer has is that they are not a good performer. So the cues the brain is going to line up to validate these beliefs are I'm already so nervous. Oh my God, I'm forgetting some of the steps. What am I going to do? My voice is trembling. I cannot even speak. They reinforce the belief that yes, I'm not a good performer. So the outcome would be that I won't be giving a good performance. And so this performer goes up to a stage and freezes and actually is not able to perform. So the brain in both of these scenarios, person A and person B, produced an outcome which was in alignment with the belief it had. In actuality, both of these performers were exactly the same, but their differing beliefs made them good or bad performers. And so I want to talk about this phenomena in various aspects of our life, starting with childhood, then going into relationship, then going into career, and finally in nutrition and fitness. So Let's transition to childhood. That is where everything starts, right? <laughs> so how a child's brain works is that they form their beliefs by picking up cues from the environment. So they pick up a reaction from the environment and they pick up affirmations of whatever adults say to them about themselves and they take everything and form their own beliefs about it. And this happens really early on when the child is between the ages of zero and five, they start developing their beliefs. Now, let's talk about a boy who is dancing. He's four years old, he's dancing, he's happy, he's jumping up and down, and everybody around him is cheering him on. They're clapping and they're saying, yay, go for it, you're doing such a good job. And at the same time, somebody comes up to this child and says, you are a really good dancer, you're brilliant at this. So the cues the child is picking up from the environment reinforces a belief that he does a really good job at dancing, and that dancing makes other people really happy. So the reward mechanism in the child's brain gets activated when he's dancing, and he's absolutely loving the positive reactions he's getting. 
Now let's talk about another child who's four years old, but this child is receiving negative responses from the environment. So as the child starts to dance, an adult shuts him down and says, don't dance. This is bad. Go sit. You're not a dancer. Why are you trying to dance? You look stupid dancing. I know this is really mean, but just for the purpose of, you know, this example. So this is what a child gets. The belief this child is forming in his mind is that he should not dance and that also he's not a good dancer. Now, in the case when there is a birthday party, guess who's standing by the wall and who's not participating in any dances? The one who was told that they should not dance. They believe that they're not allowed to dance and that they are not good dancers. And so if you ask that child, he's going to say, I don't want to dance. I don't like to dance. But in actuality, their brain is saying that if they don't dance, it's better because when they do, they will get a negative reaction and that is not something they want to experience. So when the child is asked about why they're not dancing, they're going to say that, I don't want to dance because I don't like dancing. That's why the child is standing by the wall. And the one who got the positive reinforcement is in the center, probably jumping around and is absolutely thrilled to be dancing. Though in actuality, these kids were doing exactly the same things. You know how four-year-olds dance? They literally just move their limbs up and down and they think they're, they're having a very good time. So... This is how kids form their beliefs, and this is just one aspect, but imagine how the kids form their beliefs about themselves when they're told they're smart and intelligent or dumb and stupid. They believe whatever is being told to them because that is what they're getting from the environment. And these beliefs that are transferred to kids by the adults or by those around them, are components of their self-image. So the self-image is image that we have about ourselves in our minds. And if a kid is told that he's valuable and he's smart and he's a genius and he's a great dancer and he can achieve whatever it is he wants to, he starts to make a self-image of that person in his mind. But if a kid is told that he's a stupid, he is of no good, he should not even try to do something. He cannot achieve anything. I know I'm putting two extremes of good and bad, but this is just to give you an idea about how beliefs work and how self-images are formed in childhood. So the second child who's given extremely negative affirmations is going to believe those affirmations to be true and form a self-image which is in alignment with those beliefs. And so... This self-image that these two kids have, they're carried on up till adulthood and it impacts every aspect of their life. Personal, social, relationship, career, every single aspect. And I'm going to try to cover as many as I can because I really want to highlight the importance of having accurate beliefs and how you can change your beliefs if you have any negative beliefs about yourself or your life, and it actually will help you change your reality. And it will help you have a better self-image, and so have a better life, a higher quality life, and a more fulfilling experience altogether. 
So starting with relationships, as you know, the self-image translates into how we are in relationships and what we can expect from relationships. So if a child is growing up and he sees broken families, broken bonds, frustrated individuals around him, he's going to believe that relationships are difficult and they don't last and that they are not meant to be fulfilling. And if that is coupled with the child is being told that they are not worthy and they're told that they are unlovable, it forms their self-image. So when they go into a relationship, they take all of these beliefs with them in a relationship. So let's start with a person who has bad beliefs about themselves and their relationships they will get into and what that will yield for them. So let's say person A thinks badly about themselves. So they think they are not lovable and so their self-worth is going to be really low. Self-esteem is going to be very low. They go into relationships wanting to do anything and everything to make that person stay. They are the ones who are more likely to put up with toxic and abusive behaviors. They're also the ones who are going to be more forgiving, have weak boundaries, and put themselves last. They will go to any extent to please the other person, even if it is at the cost of their own mental and emotional health. So, unfortunately, the reason they get into a relationship are all the wrong reasons. Their reason to get into a relationship is that I want to do anything to keep this person because if this one goes, who else is going to love me? And it's really sad because I've seen it happen a lot around myself. And so it can be really challenging for individuals with such beliefs to navigate through relationships. And they end up oversharing, doing too much, and doing anything and everything to keep the other person. They sabotage their other aspects of life if it is to save their relationship. So the relationship can either get into a toxic pattern of codependency or narcissism or abuse, or they can end up not finding anybody because they may be too clingy or too accessible and available. So these individuals are going to have a hard time finding partners who give them the right value because of their own insecurities. They will go into a relationship looking to do anything and everything to make the other person stay and to make the other person love them. And if they do not get that appreciation from the other person, they are going to reinforce the belief in themselves that they are not worthy. And because of that belief, they are going to try more to please the other person, to keep them, and so they stay, because if this person goes, who else is going to be there? And so this leads to a distasteful experience in relationships, and it also yields to really difficult breakups. Oftentimes, these people, when they go through breakups, it's not about okay, this person doesn't love me anymore. It is about this person doesn't love me anymore. So I am not good enough. I am not worthy. And so they left me. And this feeling is extremely painful for people to cope with. And so they can take a longer time than usual to recover from those breakups. And they may not heal completely at all. Cycles of such relationships can last up to years. And if the person doesn't have the right tools and support system, 
they may never be able to figure out what was the cause behind these relationships in the first place. However, some people are lucky enough to have the right support and tools, so they were able to sit and self-reflect, to find the awareness within themselves and understand what had caused all of this in the first place and change the beliefs about themselves, belief that they are more worthy, belief that they are more valuable, believe that they don't have to beg to be loved. And so then, with these changed beliefs, they can go into a relationship looking for the right person, the right compatibility, and they go into a relationship for the right reasons, and that is to find somebody who is compatible with them intellectually, emotionally, mentally, and whatever values they want the other person to have. But to emphasize The amount of time that people spend in going into such relationships which are painful and then recovering from the heartbreak they get and recovering from the shame and the guilt, it can take years. It can impact the whole trajectory of this individual and that is a huge cost. And if they pause and they reflect to understand the root cause of all of this, it can be very difficult to understand that there is an underlying belief that they have which has caused this. Okay, so now let's look at a person on the contrary. So person B. Person B has great beliefs about themselves. They also have great beliefs about relationships. So they go into a relationship for the right reasons. They look for an individual who has compatibility with them emotionally, mentally, financially, sexually, and so on. They're reasons for breakup are also the right reasons and that can be incompatibility. So when this person goes into a relationship and they have a breakup, they are more likely to bounce back and recover from it than person A. They are also more likely to have a less painful breakup. They're also more likely to start dating again sooner or in a more healthier way again. In both of these scenarios, for both of these individuals, one with good beliefs and one with bad beliefs, these beliefs about themselves and their relationships are impacting their life's trajectories. Because relationships take time, they take years, and the work that is put into a relationship and the aftermath of a relationship is also time and energy consuming. And it has a huge impact on the trajectory of the life. And so it is paramount to first reflect and have the right beliefs about yourself and reflect and have the right beliefs about the relationships that you're going to go into. And again, the cause and effect mechanism in the brain, meaning that if they're going into a relationship with the belief that good relationships will last, then the effect that they're going to seek to produce is that they would want to be in a long-term relationship. You know, they're more likely to get married, have babies have a family in the future versus people who think that relationships are not meant to last. They go into a relationship with insecurities about themselves. They think they are not lovable or they are not of value. And when they go into relationships with these beliefs, the outcome that is expected from such beliefs is that they're going to have breakups. The brain is going to queue up all the causes, produce this effect of a breakup, and then validate the belief that yes, Relationships are not meant to last, but in actuality, relationships will last or not 
you are lovable or not. Everything depends on the beliefs you go in the relationship with. So the next area that I want to explore here is career. Now when it comes to careers, it is the same thing. The beliefs that we have translate into the careers that we build. Um, These beliefs start from childhood and we carry them on. So if somebody believes in themselves that they are intelligent, that they that they are of value, then the outcome they are looking into to produce is that they do good work, right? Intelligent, so they are going to do good work. And so to make that happen, to have that effect happen, the causes that the brain is going to line up is that it's going to work efficiently. The individual is also going to manage time really well. They're going to be focused. They're going to prioritize work. And so they're going to put all the causes in effect, all the causes in place to bring about an effect which is in alignment with their belief. So as I'd mentioned, if the individual believes that they're intelligent, then the outcome that the brain would want to produce is that they did really good work. And as the outcome is produced, this belief is reinforced and is validated and taken as fact by the brain. And so that is what the brain tends to do. If this is the case, right, if this is how the brain operates and how the belief works in the brain, isn't it amazing that people who believe in themselves, they end up actually having great careers? They actually have longevity in their careers. It's more fulfilling for them. They take pride. They take joy in their career. And on the contrary, individuals who do not think that they are smart, the outcome that they're going to produce, it's also going to be not amazing. And it's going to be in alignment with the belief they have about themselves. So the causes that they're going to put in place would be that the individual is not timely. They're unfocused, distracted, not prioritize work, and less efficient. So all these causes are put in place so that the outcome is produced, which is that the work they do is below satisfactory. And since the belief is that they're not smart, the below satisfactory work aligns with that belief. And so when this happens in individuals' life, they struggle a lot. They struggle a lot, they have low confidence, they have low self-efficacy and low self-reliance. They don't rely on themselves to bring about an amazing career which can yield them more money and more success and more prosperity and joy. So that is how our beliefs impact our career. And it is very interesting so far, whatever has been spoken about, the relationships and the career how the beliefs that we have about ourselves can be traced back to the childhood. It really is quite fascinating how an event in the childhood can bring about a belief and that belief can translate and impact the trajectory of our life. And the chain of reactions, the chain of events that happens from childhood on to the time when we are adults in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 60s, 90s, I just find that quite fascinating and I find it really fascinating that all of these huge events in our lives, so the cumulative the of these is, events, 
can be traced back to a single event in our childhood which brought about a belief of ourselves or of an aspect of ourselves into being. The next and the last part that I want to explore in today's episode is beliefs and fitness and nutrition. So for this one, I'm going to be using some research from Dr. Alia Crum. If you don't know about Dr. Alia Crum, she's quite amazing. Um, she is the lead investigator in Stanford's Mind and Body Lab, and she's also an assistant professor. Um, I find her work extremely important. She talks about the relationship of mindset with our physiology and our reality. And Dr. Alia Krum has a very profound opinion on how the mind operates. According to her, in quote, our minds aren't passive observers, simply perceiving reality as it is. Our minds actually change reality. And there is an experiment that she did, which explored the relationship of mindset with physiological response to food. So to give you the main idea of this experiment, there were two milkshakes, exactly the same, with two different labels. One milkshake was labeled as light, the healthy milkshake, and the other one was labeled as the indulgent milkshake. In essence, they were exactly the same, but their labels said that they were different. So the light milkshake was lower in calories, it was also lower in sugar, lower in fat. The indulgent milkshake was higher in calories, higher in sugar, higher in fat. But again, these are just labels. In actuality, they were the same milkshakes. So in this experiment, there was a group of people who drank both of these milkshakes on different occasions with every other component as a constant. So nothing was different. The only varying thing was the label on the milkshake. And the findings were quite interesting. So to measure the physiological response, Dr. Alia Krum measured ghrelin levels. Now ghrelin is a hormone in our body. It's often called the hunger hormone. And ghrelin levels are really high when a person is hungry. And they become lower when the person is satiated. So when the group consumed the light milkshake, the healthier version, their ghrelin levels were not dropping easily. It's very interesting because what the body was doing was it took the belief that they're having a light milkshake as an absolute fact and did not reduce ghrelin levels as it should reduce when it's consuming a normal milkshake because the body wanted to consume more milkshake to get more energy out of it and to satiate itself adequately. And on the contrary, when these individuals were consuming the indulgent milkshake, the ghrelin levels dropped easily, meaning the body was telling itself that this milkshake is really high in fat and sugar, so a small consumption is enough to satiate the body. This kind of blew my mind because I had read a lot and done a lot of research into nutrition when I was getting my Stanford um, certification in nutrition science. And it was really interesting to see how people's perception about the food they're eating impacts their physiological responses. So to summarize everything here and to conclude, we have physiological responses depending on our beliefs. 
I think the popular question that's going to come up right now is that can you consume junk food after junk food after junk food with the belief that it is good for you? I don't think that's a healthy choice. The conclusion that I got from this research was that it is important to not associate feelings of guilt, feelings of stress and anxiousness with the food. Oftentimes when we are having something indulgent, we are guilty, right? We think we shouldn't eat too much because, oh my God, this is really heavy and we don't want to gain weight. We don't want to put anything unhealthy or too sugary in our body. But what the body does is that it starts resisting the food. And when you eat it, because the ghrelin levels drop right away, the body starts to store fat. So it actually responds by storing fat and validating the belief that this food can cause weight gain and is really heavy. So the healthy balance that one can look for here is consuming food with a happy emotion. Consuming food happily and believing they are good for you and actually consuming good food and not associating feelings of guilt or stress with the food because those feelings have physiological responses towards the food and they're not beneficial to the individual. I'm mind blown on how our beliefs about the nutrition actually make our body believe that we are having something indulgent or light. This explains to me the placebo effect quite well. Because the placebo effect is, if you have heard about it, people are given sugar pills and they're told that they're given actual medicine and their body heals from their sugar pills thinking that it's medicine. So their body responds to it as if it had actual medicine. So our mind is a powerful tool and beliefs are extremely important in how our body operates. And it's quite fascinating and we can use it to our advantage if we use it wisely. Moving on to the next experiment and the last bit of today's episode. So this experiment explored the relationship between mindset and physical activity. In this experiment, there were 48 housekeeping ladies who partook in the experiment. So in the beginning of the experiment, they were asked about what they think about their physical activity levels. It's very interesting how the average response was that the physical activity is a 3 out of 10 where 10 is the highest level in a scale of 0 to 10. And these are housekeepers and they go up and down the stairs, they're pushing carts, they're vacuuming, they're washing the washrooms, they are on their feet all day long. And they are doing above and beyond the general surgeon's requirement um, at the time, which was moderate exercise of 30 minutes a day. And they're doing above and beyond, clearly. But when they're asked, only 30% of them believe that they're exercising. And the average response was a 3 out of 10. So what Dr. Crum did afterwards was that she randomized the group and split it in two. So one group was given no information and one group was given all the resources they needed to believe that what they're doing is a really good level of physical activity and it's actually very beneficial to them and their health. At the beginning of the experiment, their masses and body mass indexes, body fat percentages, blood pressures were all measured. And so after giving the information to one group and giving no information to the other group, both of these groups were asked to return to work 
and come back four weeks later. When the groups arrived four weeks later, you could easily tell which group was told that their work contributes to their physical activity because that group had lost weight, they also had lower systolic blood pressure, and they felt better about themselves and they felt better about their job because initially they must be thinking that they're working all day long, they're putting in so many hours of work, and they're coming back home tired and exhausted, and they must not be doing anything for their health as well. But now, after getting the resources and understanding that their work is contributing to their health in a positive manner, they think better about themselves, and they also think better about their work. And with this, I conclude the episode of today. It was so much fun putting all of this together and it was really interesting to see how the beliefs cause us to respond to things in our life and how the beliefs that we form in childhood follow us all up to adulthood and impact almost every single aspect of our life. If you think a part of your life is unfulfilling, it's useful that you sit with yourself And you identify the underlying beliefs you have. And you're probably going to identify some really negative beliefs that you have been carrying with you for a long time. You also may not be able to trace it back to the particular event that caused it in childhood. Because so much has happened after childhood that you may not be able to spot the exact event. But you may identify that this belief settled in during your childhood really early on. With that, I'm going to end the episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and listening to this episode. I hope you found it useful. If you think somebody else might find it useful, please go ahead and share. And because it's a new podcast, your support, your reviews, and your follows really help. This is Sarah Hussain signing off, and I'll chat with you soon then. 